0: Thank you, Josh and Diana. Let's take our Bibles this morning, turn to Philippians together. Philippians chapter 2. I want to con- continue our series we've been doing on Sunday mornings. It's really a topical series. We don't always do a topical series. This one is particularly on uh, what it means to be a church member. And uh, we have mem- many folks who are part of Trinity Baptist Church. And uh, we've learned as we've been looking at different parts of the word of God, we've learned that God adds to the church uh, according to his will. We've learned that God gives us different gifts uh, to different individuals within the church. He gives uh, gifts to the church. And uh, in particularly, he gives spiritual gifts to everybody who is a child of God, everybody who is born again of the spirit of God. Every person who is saved has a spiritual gift, and God wants to use that gift in us, through us, to be a blessing and an encouragement to the body of Christ, that the body of Christ will be vibrant and healthy and strong and uh, bring him glory. So that's what God wants to do. We, we, We spent some time looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where the Apostle Paul gives the analogy... Uh, He compares the church to a body, a physical body. And you might remember the the humor in that passage of Scripture where the the Spirit of God giving Paul the words to write. uh, Paul makes the comment or makes the statement that um, does the the, uh, uh, foot say to the hand, does your foot say to your hand, I have no need for you, you know, Um, No, all of the members of the physical body are needful, and the analogy then, or the application, would be that all of the members of the of a spiritual body, uh, the local church, are needful. So every single member of the church is needful, and we need to function together. We need to be functioning together. Several weeks ago, the church went roller skating together, and uh, I got out there. I was on roller blades, and we did. Um, oh, what's it called? We have to go under the bar, the limbo. We had to, we did the limbo, and of course, uh, some of the younger children were just little, you know, and they've got these little, uh, like a walker on wheels, and they're and they've got their skates, and they can, they don't even have to lean, bend over at one point. They just roll right underneath the stick. And meanwhile, those of us who are adult size, you know, things are creaking and stretching and popping as we bend over, and we haven't been in that position. Since the last time we did the limbo and uh, and one foot is going this way and the other foot is going this. It's just a bad experience all around, you know, and people have their phones out, you know, and they're laughing. And it was a bad experience anyway. But is that is that the picture we want of a church, you know, uh, members going in different directions? Uh, So the study's been wonderful in that every member of the church is necessary, needed. We need you to function. God desires you to function. He's gifted you to function for the health and well-being of the church. But we need to be functioning together in unison. Um, Also, we looked uh, a week or so ago at the truth of that there's diversity within the body of Christ. And uh, that's a good thing. Uh, In other words, everybody is not like me. And that's a really good thing. We have diversity within the church. So not only do we have members who maybe who've only been saved for six months or three months or maybe a year. And we have members within the church who've been saved for 45, 50 years, 60 years, having been saved. um, Different gifts, but all functioning together into this body that is the local church. Now, this morning, I asked you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. And I want you to notice um, how, or that, how the Lord wants us to function together. He wants us to be in unity, okay, with one another. He wants us to be in unity with one another. Let's, let's read about it, Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read down through verse 11. We're not going to take the time this morning to preach through all of that. We'll just look at one verse today, but I want you to see it in the context. So beginning in verse 1, Philippians chapter 2, the Bible says this, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded. He's talking to a church now, diverse variety of gifts, different people, different individuals. He says fulfill ye my joy that ye ye all is the idea be like-minded having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, empty glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. I do find it interesting that we're looking at these verses on a day when we're going to have races at the other end of the building and uh, we're going to try to beat each other in competition. Okay, so uh, we look at the scripture here. Look at verse 4. He says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So Don't be consumed about what's important to you being more important than what's important to somebody else, but consider what's important to them, what's needful for them. Continue verse 5. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Before we pray, look back to verse three, would you? Now he's going to tell us in verse five, think like Christ, okay, humble yourself, be obedient to your father, uh, live for the glory that is to come, not for the glory that is today, that you can have, that you can secure today. Okay, how do we get there? Well, he says it very plainly in verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. So when we think about this in the context of our study about what it means to be a church member, and some of us are younger, some of us are older, and some of us are right in the middle. And we like to think of ourselves as still being younger. But whether you're a teenager or whether you're a grandparent, or whether you have the spiritual gift of encouragement, or giving, or teaching, whether you've been saved for just a few weeks, or whether you've been saved for 60 years, we, we who God has saved and joined together, God intends for us to be in unity. Unity. Sweet, beautiful harmony. So question, is the world in which we live over the past couple of years, would you describe the world in which we we live as being a world that is in unity? Uh, um, You know, it's affected, I think, even churches. It's affected marriages. It's affected this disunity has affected marriages and relationships and neighbors and friendships and all the. But throughout the history of the world and specifically the history of the church, God intends for his church to stand out, be different from the world. And he wants you and me to be in unity. Now, he didn't say uniformity where we all wear the same things, drive the same automobiles, have the same kind of facial hair or wear our hair the same way. He didn't say have the same haircut. He's talking about being in unity, valuing the same, the right things, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray, and then we'll see what our motivation should be for why we should be united. Why why should we we be united? Why should this be important to us? We'll see what our motivation should be. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for today. I'm looking forward to the fellowship, looking forward to the racing and the judging of uh, the cars and designs and those sort of things, especially in looking forward to being with God's people. Uh, But Lord, we have gathered ourselves together today on this first day of the week in hope of your return because of your resurrection, to look at your word and for you to reveal yourself to us in a special way as we've come together corporately out of love for you. And Lord, we're asking that you would speak to us through your spirit, through your word, Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for each person here. Thank you for saving us, and making us a part of Trinity Baptist Church. Lord, I pray that you would mold us and shape us. Help us to have the mind of Christ. Teach us, help us to know what should motivate us to want unity, to want what you want. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's look at the passage. Look back to verse 1. And this is the verse we're going to look at in the time that we have this morning. Just verse one. We'll come back to this passage, Lord willing, next week. And we'll continue. In verse one, he says this. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any vows and mercies. Now, when I read a verse like this, it's easy to skim over it. There's a lot of words we don't use a lot in that one verse. And... um, Of course, many of us have verse 5 and following memorized, several verses, so we know that passage pretty well. There's several commands. Uh, You see them in verse 2 and 3 and 4 and even 5. Look at them. Verse 2, he says, fulfill ye my joy. Uh, Be like-minded, he says. Have the same love. Be of one accord. Have one mind, one way of thinking. So lots of commands, instruction in verse th- or verse two, verse three tells us not to let anything be done through strife or vainglory. Um, we're to have lowliness of mind. We're to esteem others better than ourselves. In verse four, he tells us we're not to look every man on his own things. We're not to be consumed about what what we want or how I want it. You can imagine how united a church would be if. We all come together and it's all about what I want, you know. And you've heard the jokes before about churches splitting over the color of the carpet or um, different things like that. And, and what happens in that scenario, right, is, well, I don't want red carpet. I want purple carpet. And, well, I don't want purple carpet. I want green carpet. You know, green is a symbol of life and purple is a symbol of royalty. And, and I'm making these things up, okay, to a degree, And red is a reminder of the blood. And someone says, but you can't trample the blood of Christ, so we can't have red carpet. You know, and these people are warring against one another. Um, And he tells us in this passage, he says, don't be consumed about your own things. And I've talked and joked with you before about this. We have some who enjoy honda motorcycles and others who ride harley motorcycles and some who don't want any motorcycles at all you know and some who are ford guys and some who are chevy guys and some who drive hondas or toyotas you know and and how can this even exist how can people come together who drive cars from other countries or other states you know and 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 truly it it You know, masks or no masks or vaccines or no vaccines, right? I'm not getting too close to home, I hope. But what unites us? Can a person be saved and love God who drives a Ford? That's a good question. Okay, I'm I'm joking a little, right? But 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 truly, but but truly, I feel I fear at times, right? That that's kind of the level. Can can you be saved if you if you don't care about other humans and won't be vaccinated? You know, I mean that's one argument. Or the other argument is you're vaccinated, you're you're denying the truth that has been exposed on this website. What's wrong with you, right? So, so how can a group of people who are so diverse—different ages, different levels of income, different backgrounds, different experiences—driving different vehicles, dressing differently—how can we be united? And that's what he's getting after in this particular passage. And you know, what should be our motivation uh, to being united? Well, in Amos. Chapter 3 and verse 3, he says, can two walk together except they be agreed? So agreement is necessary for unity. So what is it that we're going to agree about? And what are some things that we can agree to disagree on? In the Lord's Prayer, and I'm talking about John chapter 17, the Lord Jesus Christ prayed for unity, for oneness amongst his disciples And he talked about the unity that he, the son, had and has with the father. And he talked about the unity and the oneness that he had and has with his disciples. And not just the disciples that were walking with him as he walked from the upper room to the garden of Gethsemane to be betrayed by Judas Iscariot with a kiss and then be ridiculed and mocked and judged and beaten and crucified. But he was talking about the church to come, the churches to come, disciples who had yet to be saved. He he was praying for you and for me. And what was the Lord Jesus Christ praying for as he was praying for you and for me as he walked to uh, that hill to to be betrayed and ultimately be crucified to die What was it that was on his heart? What was it that he wanted and longed for? And the answer is unity, oneness. And he wants it for our church today. Why should we have unity? Well, this unity, I believe, is a sin not primarily against the church as an organization, But it is a sin against our intimate fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if the Lord Jesus Christ wants unity and if I'm following him uh, uh, and he wants unity and another believer is saying, I'm not going to follow the Lord. I don't want what he wants. You see where the sin comes in. Or if or if at, at times other and other other believers are wanting to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and they are and He's leading them to unity within the church, but I I'm not going to do I'm not going to follow Him I'm not going to humble myself to follow Him because I'm going to seek what's important to me. You see, I'm sinning um, not primarily against the church. I'm sinning against the Lord Jesus Christ, my Lord and my Savior. So really. This sin of disunity is the ultimate act of ingratitude toward the one who has unceasingly encouraged me, who has unceasingly comforted me since the day that I was saved. He is the one who has faithfully loved me when I did not love him. He sought me when I wandered away, and he brought me back, and he forgave me time and time and time again, And he has shown mercy that is new every morning. And his faithfulness to me is overwhelming. And his graciousness and his love to me are beyond measure. And then for me to look at him and say, Lord, I don't want what you want. I don't care what you care about. It is the epitome of ingratitude, unthankfulness. And so what should be our motivation for unity within the church? I'll give you several thoughts from this one verse. Number one, the gentle encouragement of Christ should motivate me to unity. The gentle encouragement of Christ. Now, again, you see at the beginning of verse one, he says, if there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ. In verse 2, he say, he's going to answer that. He's going to say, if there's any, if Christ has ever consoled you, verse 2, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. So all of what he's going to say in those verses that are a little more familiar to us later on in chapter 2 are based upon chapter 1. Chapter 1, or verse 1, excuse me, is, is the motivation Or why we should be unified. What should should motivate me to to unity within the church? Well, the gentle encouragement of Christ. You see the word consolation in verse 1. It it means encouragement or comfort or to be implored or to be exhorted, to be entreated. It actually comes from the Greek word that uh, paraclete, is in reference to the Holy Spirit. And the word for consolation is paraclesis, same root idea. Um, And and he's saying to us, have you ever been encouraged by the Lord Jesus Christ? Has he ever come alongside of you? Has he ever comforted you? Has he ever entreated you? Has he ever helped you? And, And what would your answer to that be? Has the Lord ever come alongside? It? Has He ever held you close? Has He ever encouraged you in your walk with Him? And when you have fallen, and when you've when you've gone astray, when when you've sinned against Him, something comes to my mind at this moment. Um, sinning against the Lord, a particular. Relative in Christ, a brother or sister in Christ. And the individual was disgusted with their sin. And the individual said this way, I hate myself. That's how disenamored they were with themselves. Have you ever been there so disgusted with your sin that it brought you to that? And I'm going to call it this that fleshly response. Are we to hate ourselves? Is that what God desires? No. He loves us. And there are times in our lives where you and I have wanted to give up on ourselves. And here's the beautiful truth. The Lord Jesus Christ never gives up on you or me. He never gives up on you. And so that's what I think Paul is getting at. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ is getting at in this passage, where he says, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, has he ever comforted you when you could not console yourself anymore? When you could not comfort yourself anymore, has he ever comforted you? Christ has so consistently and so faithfully helped you. And and then he's going to say, so this is how you should respond. If you've experienced his love for you, and his seeking for you and his faithfulness to you, this is how you should respond. And he's going to say, Fulfill ye my joy, be like minded. Don't don't do things through strife and vainglory. Don't don't live like that within the church. And so many of you have been a part of this study for several weeks now, so you have a this back knowledge of where we've been. But again, just to remind you, he's taught, we've been studying about these spiritual gifts. If, you're, if you have the gift of prophecy, if you have the gift of mercy, if, if you are young or old, if you're a child of God, you come from a different perspective, and we all do. And here we are gathering as a church. I mean, this is a little unique. I mean, the world doesn't do this, right? Honda guys don't ride with Harley guys normally, unless they're believers. <laughs> you know, I mean... Or there's something else that's binding them together, but that's the, that's the reality of this this passage. There's something else that is binding us together. Someone else. Who is that person? It is Christ. It is our love for Christ that binds us together. And uh, on top of Him uh, saving us and making us a part of the same body, He chose you. To be a part of this assembly. He chose me to be a part of this assembly. He's put us together. To represent him. To this world. And he's saying you can't represent me. The Lord Jesus Christ to this world. If you're going to have strife. And pride within within the body. It doesn't represent the Lord Jesus Christ at all. So number one. The gentle encouragement of Christ. Motivates us to unity. Number two. The comforting love of Christ should motivate us to unity. So we see gentleness, the gentle encouragement of Christ. We said in the word consolation. And then he talks about this comfort of love. You see it in verse one, the middle part. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, Christ has he ever comforted you in love? We know John 3.16 well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we think of the Lord's love for us. We've talked about that over the last couple of weeks. Specifically, this agape love. And the same word here is used, um, if any, comfort of love. Okay. Okay. Comfort to come to come close to one side is the idea of the word comfort to whisper in one's ear. A gentle cheering. I like that. I like those words. They help me understand that word comfort. So it's not it's not the basketball coach on the sidelines. I'm not going to try to reenact, you know, who's um, his his player is not, they're not executing the play. And he's about to lose his mind. You know, he's yelling at them. And you're kind of wondering, like, how is that allowed in that profession? But nowhere else, you know, but he is intense. That's not this word. This would be more of a parent coming alongside their child and, and their child is discouraged. You put your arm around them. And you put your head up to their head. You just hold it there for a moment. And you might say, I love you, You whisper it into the rear. I love you. You can do this. It's going to be okay. I'll be right with you through it all. And that's that's what Paul's asking here. Have you experienced this kind of comfort of love of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you ever sat under the preaching and teaching of God's word? And the word of God is is coming forth. Maybe the pastor, the evangelist, wasn't even preaching specifically about something you were dealing with. But the spirit of God within you took the word of God, maybe as it was just being read. And it was like he just came up alongside of you and reminded you it's going to be okay. I am with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Have you ever been comforted by his love, his sacrificial love for you and for me? You see, even after salvation, we've experienced this sacrificial love of Christ comforting us in times of distress. So because we've experienced this loving tenderness of God in Christ in salvation and sanctification, we have known his love and his comfort of his love. And because we have known that comforting love, that loving forgiveness and that loving mercy and that loving grace, and it's been so incredibly abundant upon us, shouldn't we be constrained, because he has loved us in this way, shouldn't we, each of us, be constrained to desire what he desires? The unity of his people. I love when the church is functioning in unity. I love it. It is beautiful. It is wonderful. It's remarkable. I don't think there's anything like it in the world. It's incredible. We have some teenagers here. You ought to desire this for your church family, but also for your youth group in particular. You ought to desire that. I can remember. And by the way, parents, you know, when when they're taking trips to camp or they're 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 taking trips together here or there just across town or they're going and doing things together as a youth group, it's really important for your young person to be a part of that. And there may be times when your your child might say, you know what, I don't want to go to that. But if you want them to build relationships with these other young people, it's really important for them if they're going to have a ministry of encouragement to these other people young people or to be encouraged by those other young people they have to grow those relationships i can uh i can remember as a teenager pastor scott was my youth pastor and uh and we were taking trips in old broken down buses and vans all over the place it seemed like on the east coast and we were went to florida to then fly to the bahamas when i was 14 years old um we went to New York City several times, went on college trips, and uh, in, in those bus trips, with no air conditioning, sometimes no heat, breaking down often, it seemed like, I mean, it was like the joke, if it was a Trinity Baptist vehicle, we were going to break down. You know, it was just kind of the way it was. But I made friendships with young people in my youth group, and we faced opposition, And we were put in positions to give the gospel. We grew to love one another. And as a young person, I didn't realize this, and I don't know if this was Pastor Scott's plan, but I was growing to love the body of Christ through those exercises. And we went, yeah, we went to Cedar Point. We went to uh, some Tigers games. We went to a New York Yankees game. We did a lot of things. but it wasn't it wasn't cedar point that was the the ultimate point do you see that so even something like today where we're going to have ribs and races and the Iwana program is kind of highlighted and racing uh, wood from china is made in china on the block of the wood you know i mean how is we can't even do we have trees in this country anymore whatever the case so Anyway, so we're, we, we spent all this time, and we're it, it's not about the race. It's not about the outcome. It's about being together with God's people. It's about developing relationships with one another. And, and what do we find when we develop relationships? We find out that we're different. And then we have to exercise what we're commanded in this passage of Scripture to do to esteem others better than ourselves. And I'm not to look at my own things. I'm to be like-minded. Because our flesh resists all of this. It really does. So God desires that Christ comfort his people through you and through me. And so I need to move on from this. But in verse 1, where he says, If any comfort of love, if any consolation of Christ, in the the first half of verse 1, fulfill ye my joy, be like-minded. There's some application here, too. God wants, he wants to comfort and console his children through you and through me. So I'm not to go through life, you know, if it doesn't affect me, I don't care. Or, oh, I care, but other than me knowing about your struggle, it doesn't affect me. I just keep going until, until cancer comes home to my house. Or until my children struggle with something. I'm not going to care, you see. So the Lord Jesus Christ does care. He does console. He does comfort. And if he lives in me by his spirit, is he not by his spirit within me wanting to minister and console and comfort his children and his people? And the answer, of course, is yes. So then I have to ask myself the question, well, am I... Resisting what the Lord Jesus Christ by His Spirit is desiring to do through me in the lives of other people. Do I love other people? Do I care about other people? Or I don't or don't I have time? All right, let's let's give you a third truth from this verse. Another motivation. Number one was the gentle encouragement of Christ should motivate us to unity. Number two, the comforting love of Christ should motivate us to unity. Number three, The partnership of the Holy Spirit should motivate us to unity. The partnership of the Holy Spirit. This is another motivation. So he he just doesn't tell us, he doesn't just tell us in verse 2 and 3 and 4 and 5, do all these things, be united, uh, esteem others better than yourselves. He says, no, I'm going to give you something that will motivate you to do this. You've been encouraged by Christ. He's comforted you in love. And the Holy Spirit within you is partnering with you to accomplish this. Look at verse number one. Again, the middle part, he says, If any fellowship of the Spirit, if you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, fellowship, what does that mean? Well, it means partnership or communication or participation. So are you saved? Are you saved? The Bible tells us when we believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are born again spiritually. So I was born physically in 1979 in Marquette, Michigan. I'm a Uper. okay, Um, but that only made me alive physically. I lived on this earth physically alive, but spiritually dead. My parents were they were saved. What makes a person saved? Uh, Is a person saved by coming to a church like this? Yes or no? No. Is a person saved by giving money or volunteering time? No. How is a person saved? Well, the Bible says by believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ, a person is saved. And that's not just a mental assent, an acknowledgement. That God exists. That's a turning away from dependence upon me to save myself, my good works, um, what I've done, what I'm trying to do, my religion. It's a turning away from self and it's a turning to the Lord, God Almighty, and saying, God, will you save me from my sin?" Will you deliver me? Will you forgive me of my sin? It's a putting our faith and trust and confidence in Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross. He died for our sins. He took all of our sins, the sins of the whole world, upon his body. He was buried. And three days later, he arose from the grave and he lives today. And so to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ means I turn away from what I can do. And I turn to Christ and what he has done for me. And I and I ask him to save me from my sin. And the Bible says that that Jesus Christ will save anyone from their sin if that person will believe upon upon him. And when a person is saved, that person is born again. They are dwelt by the spirit of God. And now in verse number one, he's telling us if you have any fellowship of the spirit. Um, First Corinthians 12 and verse 13 says, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles. Most of us here are Gentiles in the sense of we don't have Jewish heritage, whether we be bond into them, whether you're a slave or whether you're a free man and have been all made to drink into one spirit. What does Paul mean by that? Well, we have partnership with the Holy Spirit that is deep. We are saved. Uh, we who are saved were born of the Spirit, the, and the Spirit is the earnest, the down payment of our inheritance. We are sealed into the day of redemption by the Spirit. We are indwelt by Him. We are filled by Him. We are placed into the body of Christ. We are taught by Him. He comforts us and He empowers us. He leads us. We're equipped for service by Him. He gifts us. We're cleansed, and the Holy Spirit enables us to resist temptation. The Holy Spirit of God gave us his word. He prays for us. The Bible says, "The Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be uttered." And the truth is that every one of us, our lives have been marked by inconsistency. Um, fall failures, falling into sin. Even even some of us who have been saved for 50 years, our lives have been are still marked by inconsistency and and a lack of discipline. And we're reminded often of sin and the damage it does and, and our flesh and how weak our flesh is. And yet the Holy Spirit of God from within has faithfully partnered with us and he has consistently, and he still does, is leading us to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, the way that is right and true, the way of blessing, the way of eternal reward. And, and Paul's just touching on this. Have you experienced the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the partnership of the Holy Spirit? Have there been times in your life, in your spiritual life, in your walk with the Lord, and I'm talking to people who are saved for just a moment. Um, have, there, have you ever found, you who are saved, have you ever found yourself at times within the struggle so intense that you almost want to depart, but he won't let you go. That's loyalty. That's faithfulness. That is love beyond measure. When we do not love him and in our flesh, we are almost bent and insistent on, I am going to glorify me and I am going to live for self." And yet the Holy Spirit within us will not let us go. That is wonderful. That is love. To be unloved and yet to love anyway. And the Holy Spirit of God does that every day of our lives. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit in in different ways. One way, he, he says that it's possible for us to, to quench him, to extinguish his influence and power in our lives. We can do that by saying no to him. Okay. It also The Bible also talks about the Holy Spirit in, in our interaction with him in that we can grieve him. And that word grieve is a quite intense word. It's quite an intense word. Um, we, we do understand it. Our culture, we tend to grieve more privately. Okay. I I wouldn't say in our culture it's shameful to cry or it's shameful to weep aloud, but it's not something that's normal in our culture. In Middle Eastern cultures, there is grieving and weeping, and it is open, and a man will weep and cry in a guttural way, loud and open. Now, We understand that because I would dare say most of us in this room have cried that way in private, where there weren't even words. We were just so broken. Well, I want you to know that word grieve, where the Bible says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. It's possible for you and for me as believers to grieve Him that way by sin, by living in sin. And we all have grieved Him, we've hurt Him deeply. Like that way, a hurting, a hurting, a weeping type of grief. We've done that to the Holy Spirit. What do, you, what do we do? What is our natural response to someone who hurts us that way? Maybe repeatedly hurts us. Maybe stay away. We're angry with them. Maybe separation. You know what? I am distancing myself from you. I am not going to let you hurt me like that again. The Holy Spirit never leaves us, and he never forsakes us. And even though we have grieved him and hurt him many, many times, on a deeper level, I think, than even you or I can comprehend, he does not leave us. The fellowship of the Spirit. He keeps convicting. He keeps encouraging. He keeps consoling. He won't let you go. Because he loves you. Because he's the down payment of our inheritance, what we have in Christ. God is our inheritance. Christ is our inheritance. And he gave us a down payment for that. Uh, That is his spirit who lives within us to remind us of that inheritance. To convict us as we go through life. To encourage us. to, to, To correct us at times. But the Holy Spirit... He's not, um, how do I want to say this? He's not bombastic. He's not going to, um, I don't want to say the word oppress, but he's not going to make us. It's with that still, small voice. There are different analogies given in the word of God about the Holy Spirit. One is fire. Fire gives heat, gives warmth, light, um, wind. You can't really see you can't see where the winds come from. You can't even see the wind, but you can see the, what the wind does. It stir things up. It can blow things. Or it has a lot of power. The wind. But you can't see it. Um, dove. The Holy Spirit is likened to a dove when Jesus was baptized, and God the Father was pleased with His Son. The Bible says that. Uh, the Spirit of God descended like a dove. It doesn't say that a dove ascended. It says that it's the Spirit of God descended like a dove. And when you think about a dove, what do you think of? You think of an aggressive bird, bird of prey. Have you ever looked into the eyes? I've never really done it up close. But have you ever seen with the cameras we have today? Have you ever looked into the, the, the eyes of a bird of prey? Aren't you glad they're small, as small as they are? I think if they were bigger, I think they would eat us without question. I mean, they're just fierce, okay? But the Spirit of God is likened to a dove. Um, Gentle eyes. Easily scared away. Not going to force. Listen, God, by his Spirit, lives within you and me if you're a child of God. And he is not going to let you go. He loves you. God loves loves you and we as his people have experienced his love to great lengths he says it again look at verse one if there be therefore any consolation in christ if any comfort of love if any fellowship of the spirit if any bowels and mercies fulfill ye my joy as we wrap things up you see the words bowels and mercies at the end of verse number one um, bowels and mer- what, do, what do bowels have to do with what the Lord is, what we've experienced of God in our lives? Well, the word bowels has the idea of, of pity or sympathy or inward affection or tender mercy, a longing. As you leave here today, I, I want you to remember the Holy Spirit, God lives inside of you, He goes with you wherever you go. He experiences whatever you engage in. He experiences your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, all kinds. He he is there, and then he says tender mercies. Um, mercies has the idea of pity. God gives us pity. He gives us mercy, tenderness, loving kindness, and so much more than we deserve. He pours out grace upon grace and mercy upon mercy. And so we share the life of the Spirit in us. And that is true for a church. We all share this. The Spirit of God is doing this in your life. And he is doing this in my life. And this is, as we draw things to a conclusion, this is what I want you to understand. And this is what I need to be reminded of. It's not just that the Holy Spirit of God is working in my life, but he's working in your life. And he's loving you this way, and he's comforting you this way, and he's convicting you in a a way that he's convicting me. And he's leading us to accomplish the will and the plan that our Father has designed for us to fulfill. And in, in the context of this passage, he goes on to say, because of all you have experienced God doing in your life, Fulfill my joy, be like-minded, have the same love, be of one accord, be of one mind. Don't do things through strife or vain glory, but be lowly in mind. Esteem others better than yourselves. And I'm summarizing these things for emphasis. Don't value what you do in your life in the way that you think, in your wants, and your desires, more than you value what others desire. It doesn't have to be your way. Christianity is not about you. This this is about Christ. And then he says, let this mind be in you. And he tells us about Christ, who was God and found himself in the form of God, but made himself of no reputation, took himself the form of a man, became a servant, And he went to the cross and he died so that we could be saved. And the simple application would be this. If you've experienced the mighty work and goodness and love and kindness of God in your life. then take up your cross. And love others, your brothers and sisters, more than you love yourselves. It's not about you so that they can experience the love of God in their lives and be edified and strengthened and built up so that the world can see Christ in you. As we close, let me ask you this. Have you ever experienced the salvation of God in your life? Are you a child of God? Have you been forgiven of your sins? Do you know that for sure? If that's you, would you raise your hand that I could see it? Many in this room. You may put them down. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, let me ask you this. Maybe you couldn't raise your hand. You say, Pastor Ferguson, I am not a child of God. I know that God exists. I've never really thought about the Lord Jesus Christ dying to save me the way I have this morning. I want, I need, Pastor Ferguson, I need God to save me from my sin. I need to be forgiven. And I know that that forgiveness is found in Christ. I need to be saved. If that's you, anywhere in this room this morning, would you say, Pastor Ferguson, would you pray for me? I need to be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. If that's you, would you raise your hand that I could pray for you? Anywhere in this room, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one's looking around. To believers, let me ask this question then. What is your motivation for serving? Do you want what God wants in the unity of his church. Diversity is important. Diversity is God-given. Gift, different gifts, different ages, different incomes. Do you want what God wants? And that is the unity of his body. And do you have the right motivation? What is the right motivation? It's the love of God that we have experienced. If he'll love me that way, then I want to love him back and I want to love his body that way. So the question is, are you loving your brothers and sisters in Christ that way? If you're not, you're sinning against your Savior. Confess it, forsake it, and with the right motivation, the love of God, love one another. I'm going to ask you... Just stand in just a moment. Before you do, let me pray, and then, then we'll stand and sing. Father, I pray now as we conclude our service this morning, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us by your spirit, through your word. Father, I pray for this congregation of believers. Thank you for joining us together. Thank you for what you're doing. Father, I pray that you would be honored and glorified in us, in your work in us. Help us, Lord, to love one another as we should. Help us, Lord. This is uncommon. This is unnatural. It's not of our flesh. We, we really need you to accomplish this in us. And I'm asking you to do this mighty work for your glory and for our good. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.